Please turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to the Gospel of John, chapter 6. We'll be reading this morning verses 25 through 59, John 6, 25 through 59. But before we read that together, let's pray together. Our Father, we do come to hear your voice. Uh, We come to hear your word. We come to receive your grace. We come to see Jesus in all of his glory and to believe on him more fully. We come to be reminded of what we have in Jesus. Uh, We come to be called to repentance and to turn from the present age and to turn to Jesus more fully. So, Father, we pray that you would come, that you would pour out your spirit on us, that you would speak your truth uh, through me, that you would open our hearts and minds, that we would hear and believe, and as we look on Jesus and believe in him, that we would have eternal life. Father, we pray that you would pour out your spirit on us to those ends, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. John 6, picking up in verse 25. When they found Jesus on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal." Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. 
Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not as the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. People know that they need to feed their soul. You know, the the uh, proliferation of self-help blogs, minimalist movements, and a smorgasbord of spiritual practices show at least some recognition that we need to feed our souls. Now, some of us are so busy and so consumed with our day-to-day that we don't stop to even think about our souls if we believe we have one. The problem, though, is not that we don't recognize the need for spiritual nourishment. The problem is, which of us really understands what that means? Where do we look? And what even is the life of the soul? And so we're going to ask three questions this morning. Uh, What does this life look like? Where does this life come from? And how do I get it? And uh, you'll notice in your outline, there are the three questions and there are three answers. Uh, Real life is the satisfaction of the soul. Jesus is the bread of life. And so come and feed by faith. Now, in this uh, dialogue from verse 25 on in John 6, Jesus circles around really to the same points multiple times. Uh, The passage is is a dialogue. It's a conversation between Jesus and his contemporaries. Jesus teaches that he is the bread of life. Uh, The people don't get it. Uh, Jesus explains that he is the bread of life. The people grumble. Uh, Jesus insists that he is the bread of life and his disciples abandon him. Uh, Because of that, uh, we're going to look at this text as a whole, uh, both this week and going uh, just a bit further two weeks from now. This week, we'll look at this theme of life in Jesus, and then two weeks from now, we'll look at how people come to Jesus and why they turn away. And so if you notice me skipping over certain difficult verses in the text this morning, it's because we're going to get to them next time. So I'm not not just skipping it. We're going to get there, uh, but one thing at a time. So first question this week, what does this life look like? Real life is satisfaction of the soul. Now be honest, do you experience life as it was meant to be? 
Uh, some of you in this room are Christians. Some of you are non-Christians. Uh, this, this question is not just for the non-Christians, right? Christian, you're not off the hook. Uh, Christian, do you experience life as it was meant to be? I need you to be honest with yourself. I'm not sure that I can always answer yes. I mean, don't get me wrong. Uh, God has been good to me, and I am incredibly thankful. God has brought me through a lot. Uh, like most people, I've been through some hard stuff, but God has been faithful. He's brought me to himself. He's carried me through trials. He has blessed me despite my sin and in my sadness. But some days, life, even if it's not bad, is just blah. I feel like I'm going through the motions. I'm, I'm tired. I'm numb. Now, again, my, my life in God's providence is good. But if that's true, why am I not always happy? Uh, why do things at times feel empty? And what about you? How do you experience life? Perhaps you're, you're in a bad place. And I've been there. Many of us have been there. Life is hard. And you're wondering if there is more to life than pain and loneliness. Or maybe you're in a good place in life. Uh, but there are moments of emptiness and hunger and longing that seem to go unfilled, unsatisfied, and unmet. Well, in John chapter 6, Jesus had just fed the crowds with bread and fish. The next day they came looking for him because they want more bread. Jesus says in verse 27, Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. You see, there is a food that will fill your belly. There is an activity that will fill your time, right? There are things that will fill your home. These things all perish. And the life that they give is passing away. And so Jesus says, do not work for the food that perishes. The writer of Ecclesiastes says, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Another way of translating that word vanity is vapor. Everything is a vapor. Everything is a mist dissipating with the rise of the sun. Jesus does not deny that food fills the belly. He, he doesn't deny that there is a kind of life that comes from reputation and money and sex and power. Uh, these are good gifts from our Father, but they are also passing away. They are finite and fleeting, temporary and transient. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. Uh, think about food uh, for a minute. What does food do? Uh, food nourishes and therefore sustains life. But it also fills the belly and therefore satisfies. Uh, bread is about sustenance, but it's about more than sustenance. It also involves satisfaction. Sustenance and satisfaction, not merely uh, surviving, but thriving. Jesus will bring up both sides of foods in a, a food in his discourse. Nourishment that brings life and the satisfaction of hunger, the quenching of thirst. And next, think about this phrase that Jesus uses here, eternal life. What does that mean? But before you write this off as a spiritual platitude, take a minute and listen to what John has to say. Uh, here is one of Jesus' most intimate companions, the writer of the book of John, recording the words of Jesus himself. And Jesus says, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. What is eternal life? 
Well, first, uh, may, maybe you remember uh, from earlier on in our studies in John, but the, the concept of life, the idea of life, is central to the book of John. Uh, close to the end of John's gospel, he says this in chapter 20, verse 31. He says, these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so John's purpose for writing is so that you may have life. And second, this is why Jesus came, according to John's gospel. Jesus says in John 10, 10, I came that they, his sheep, may have life and have it abundantly. And so this is why John is writing, and this is why Jesus came, that we might have life and have it to the full. Now, one misstep that we often make when we think about this life that Jesus came to give is this. We hear the word eternal, and we think that means future. Jesus came to bring us eternal life. That is, we think, uh, life in heaven when we die. A lot of popular evangelistic methodologies have led us in this misdirection. The evangelistic question that has led the way over the past century is often something like, are you going to go to heaven when you die? Now, the problem with that is it actually hamstrings what Jesus means by life. Now, you might read a verse like verse 51 out of context and think that that is what Jesus is talking about. He says, if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And clearly, Jesus doesn't mean he won't ever die, we say. So Jesus must be talking about the afterlife, life after death. And of course, the answer is yes and no. In verse 39, Jesus says, This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Okay, you say, so maybe Jesus is talking uh, not about life in heaven, but simply about life at the resurrection. Life in the future when Jesus raises his people from the dead. But even that is not what Jesus means by eternal life. Because the very next verse says this in verse 40, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. And did you notice that, right? Jesus promises two things there, eternal life and resurrection life. The life that Jesus is talking about, the life that John is writing that we might have, the life Jesus came to give his sheep in abundance, is eternal life now and resurrection life on the last day. Eternal life, whatever it is, begins now. It's something that we can have presently, prior to the resurrection. So what is it? Well, we'll talk in a minute about how this life centers on Jesus, but for the moment, notice, notice all the, the parallel phrases that Jesus uses in this chapter. He, phrases like see and believe and come and eat and drink are all used in a, in a parallel fashion, and they all lead to eternal life. But some other things happen when we do those things, uh, some other things which flesh out what Jesus means by eternal life. So first Jesus says in verse 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Eternal life, whatever it is, has to do with being accepted by Jesus. Acceptance rather than rejection. Coming and not being cast out. Being received by God. That is life. And do you know that? Do you know God's acceptance in Jesus? Jesus says, this is life, coming to me and not being cast out. 
Second, Jesus says in verse 56, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood, we'll come to that in a minute, uh, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Eternal life is coming to Jesus, not being cast out, and then abiding in him and having him abide in us. Uh, This language of abiding is used throughout John to, to abide in Christ and have Christ abide in us refers to our being united to Christ. This is life, being united to Jesus, an intimate union with him. You know, old happily married couples know what this is like. When you live together for so long that your lives are bound up with one another in every way, they can't be disentangled. This is life, Jesus says, when your life and mine are intimately bound up together. Finally, verse 35, Jesus says, whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Eternal life means satisfaction in Jesus. Now, Jesus is not saying that your bellies will never grumble again. That comes from the food that perishes. But that there is a kind of hunger in our souls that is satisfied when we come to Jesus. This is life, according to Jesus, our being accepted by Jesus, our lives being bound up with Jesus, and the satisfaction of our souls from Jesus. This is something that can begin now, but endures forever. Because Jesus said the one who believes in him, verse 40, will have eternal life and Jesus would raise him up on the last day. And so there is a satisfaction of the soul now and a physical life that goes on forever, beginning at the resurrection. Real life is not life that is passing away, the temporal and transient. It is something that abides. It is being accepted by Jesus, our lives being bound up with Jesus, receiving satisfaction from Jesus. And notice this says nothing about what my circumstances might be. My marital status, my job status, my Facebook status, these things are not life. They cannot, they will not satisfy your soul. And so what does this life look like? Real life is enduring vital soul satisfaction. Where does it come from? It comes from Jesus as the bread of life. You'll notice it's hard to keep these questions distinct. The one bleeds into the other. Uh, But let's focus on this second question. Where does this life come from? Uh, There is, of course, uh, there are different answers that people give to that question. Uh, One answer people give is is religion or spirituality. We look to religious rituals or spiritual practices as a means of tending to our souls. Uh, You don't even have to believe in the soul anymore to tend in it, right? Uh, Mindfulness and meditation and and brain health have a kind of pseudo-spirituality to them. They are religious rituals for the secular. And we think, if I just perform the right rituals, religious or secular, it will be life-giving to my soul. On the other hand, many of us are still caught up in the same old thing, pursuing uh, the stuff of the present age, positions and possessions and popularity, fame and fortune, health and wealth. We think that if we just get the right stuff, the right job, the right things, the right recognition, the right degree or friends or family or spouse, our lives will feel complete and the void within will be filled. Now, we know that's not true. It's almost a cliche nowadays, right? The moment someone seems on top of the world, the moment they've gained everything, as often as not, is the lowest moment in their lives because they have gotten everything they ever wanted and they realize that the emptiness remains. And this can be as true with religious rituals as it is in the pursuit of stuff, 
We can go through all the right motions, perform our quiet time like clockwork, never miss a day of meditation, but something still isn't right. Jesus says, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. When the question is asked, where does real life come from, Jesus continues the metaphor of food, and he points to himself. Now, the audacity, right? the, the, the arrogance, the presumption, how can a Jewish carpenter from Nazareth point to himself as the source of life and satisfaction? If anyone ran around boasting on Twitter that if you want real life, come to me, I alone have what you're looking for, it would be arrogant and absurd. And of course, it is arrogant and absurd to point to oneself as the source of life, unless, of course, it's true. And so Jesus says in John 6, 27, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. Jesus' claim is that God set him apart as the one who gives life. Now, the, the crowds actually pick up on the word work. Of everything Jesus said, that's the word that they pick up on. Uh, Jesus said, do not work for the food that perishes. And they respond to Jesus, what must we do to be doing the work of God? And yet Jesus, again, points to himself. He says, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Now, the crowds get that this is a reference to Jesus himself, and so they say, well, what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Okay, prove it, they say. And they go on, our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Now, despite the fact that Jesus had just fed the 5,000, like 15 verses earlier, uh, you see the challenge from them. God gave bread from heaven. What are you going to do? And you realize they're still stuck on the food that perishes. They want more bread. That's all that is going through their minds at the moment. He gave us bread. We want some more. Let's see it. Come on, Jesus, perform. So Jesus points again to himself. Verse 32, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Right? I am the true bread, Jesus says. I came down from heaven to give life to the world. Stop thinking about manna coming down. Open your eyes and look at me. And their response, which again shows their focus and seems absurd, in verse 34 is this. Sir, give us this bread always. And you'll perhaps pick up on a theme in John. Uh, Jesus talked to Nicodemus about being born again, and Nicodemus said, can a man enter a second time into his mother's womb? Uh, Jesus talked about living water with a Samaritan woman, and she said, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty and won't have to come back to this well. Jesus said the, the true bread from heaven is a person, and the people say, Give us this bread always. You see, we seem incapable of thinking beyond the physical world. And that is especially true in our present day where everything has a, has a scientific, that is a physical, a biological, a chemical explanation. But our scientism, our view of the world that sees science as the ultimate arbiter of truth, is nothing more than the coming to blossom of our inability to see beyond our present age, beyond the physical world, beyond creation. And so Jesus just doubles down. 
and gets clearer in verse 35. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But again, like Israel in the wilderness with Moses, Jesus' contemporaries just begin to grumble in verse 41. They grumble because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. How can he say that, they ask. Uh, We know his father and his mother. We know Joseph and Mary. How can Jesus say, I am the bread that came down from heaven? And of course, the answer, of course, as you uh, begin in the beginning of the book of John and John 1, the answer is the incarnation, that Jesus is the son of God who took on human skin, that he is God with skin on, God in the flesh, God clothed in humanity. And so he insists, verse 48, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died. That is, there was a problem with that bread. It was food that perishes. It gave life that perishes. You are still focused on what perishes. But verse 50, this is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I give for the life of the world is my flesh. When does Jesus give his flesh for the life of the world? And the answer is in the cross. Just look at the rest of the Gospel of John. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. How did the Father give the Son? Not just by sending him into the world, but by sending him to die for the world. Romans 8, 32, He who did not spare his own Son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? See, it's it's in the cross that Jesus becomes food for our souls. It's in the cross that Jesus is offered up as the Passover lamb to bear sin and reconcile us to the Father. It's in the cross that we find acceptance with God. It's in the cross that we find communion with Jesus. It's in the cross that the Father's wrath is satisfied. And it is through the cross that we find satisfaction because in the cross we find reconciliation to our Father in heaven and so the joy for which we were always intended All of this comes through Jesus' cross, where he offers his flesh and blood as a sacrifice for sin. If Jesus did not come down as bread from heaven, if he did not come in the flesh, he could not give himself for the life of the world. He could not offer himself a sacrifice for sin. We could not satisfy our spiritual thirst through restored communion with our Father in heaven. So what what does life look like? Real life is a life sustained and satisfied in communion with God. Where does that life come from? It comes from Jesus, who is the bread of life, the source of sustenance and satisfaction of the soul. How do we get it? The answer is come and feed by faith. How do I get life? Uh, Again, religious people might look to their rituals and rules. Secular people might look to self-help books and productivity planners but they both amount to the same thing. If I want life, there is some work that I must do. I've got to perform or pretend or live up or go get it or make it my own and so on. But there is nothing in this life that by doing, you will get real life because Jesus is the bread of life. So how do we receive him? How do we receive Jesus, the bread of life, that we might be nourished and satisfied? How do we eat and drink his body and blood? This was, of course, one of the scandals in Jesus' day. There there is actually quite a bit in this chapter that is offensive uh, to us. Some of that we will come to next time. But when Jesus says in verse uh, 51, 
He says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Uh, The people respond, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Again, like Nicodemus, like the woman at the well, uh, 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 the people take Jesus' words literally. As if to be born again was to get back into your mother's womb. And to, to drink living water means you will never again need to quench your thirst for water. What is, what is interesting about Jesus, though, and this is often the case, is he doesn't try to clear up the misunderstanding. Uh, we'll come to, to that more next week, but for now, just notice, when the people misunderstand, rather than breaking things down, Jesus actually doubles down and steps it up. In verse 53, so Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. How do we receive eternal life and resurrection life according to Jesus? Verse 54, we feed on Jesus' flesh and drink his blood. How do we abide in him and he in us? Verse 56, feed on Jesus' flesh and drink his blood. How do we live because of Jesus? Verse 57, feed on him. How do we live forever and not die? Verse 58, feed on on this bread, Jesus' flesh. Now, at this point, uh, I have to address what, for some at least, is the elephant in the room, which is uh, that uh, some see in this chapter a reference to the Lord's Supper. They think what Jesus is talking about is eating uh, the bread and the wine at the Lord's Supper. They think that to eat Jesus' flesh is to partake of the bread and to to drink Jesus' blood is to partake of the wine. However, there's actually nothing in this chapter about the Lord's Supper. Uh, that may sound like a bold statement, but just uh, bear with me, right? Jesus never speaks of earthly bread and wine in this chapter. He never speaks of a ritual meal. Uh, he does not say in this chapter, this bread is my body, this wine my blood. He says, my body is true food and my blood true drink, which is actually the opposite. Uh, to bring in the Lord's Supper, you have to bring in the Lord's Supper into this chapter. You have to bring it in. Uh, you can't read it out. Of the chapter. But does it make sense to bring it in? I mean, would Jesus on that day in Capernaum, uh, in his debate with the Jews, uh, would he be debating about a sacramental meal that he had not yet instituted? Does that even make sense? While there are some verbal parallels to the other gospel stories of the Lord's Supper, there are other things that don't quite fit. Uh, Jesus gives thanks when he feeds the 5,000, as he does before he institutes the Lord's Supper. And he talks about giving himself, both when he institutes the Lord's Supper and here in John 6. But in John 6, Jesus talks about his flesh, whereas everywhere in the Lord's Supper, he always talks about his body, different uh, Greek words. This bread is my body given for you is not quite the same as the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. They're similar on the surface, but they're actually not saying the same thing, right? To say God is love is not the same as saying love is God. For Jesus to say, I am the bread of life is not the same as saying this bread is my body, Jesus' flesh in the Gospel of John and his flesh and blood are ways of speaking of Jesus' humanity. When John says in uh, chapter 1, verse 14, that the word became flesh, it means the eternal son took on humanity. And here it is particularly Jesus' humanity as a sacrificial offering that is in view. 
And this all happened during Passover. Verse 4 tells us Jesus is the Passover lamb who takes away the sin of the world. And of course, in the Old Testament, the worshiper never drank the blood of the sacrifice. That was strictly forbidden. Why? Because the life was in the blood. Uh, the, The blood was given to make atonement. And so the fact that Jesus would tell his disciples not only that they must eat his flesh, but also drink of his blood, takes this to the extreme and makes it even more offensive. But Jesus' point is clearly that we must somehow take Jesus' sacrificial work, his self-giving at the cross, into ourselves. But how do we do that? Now, I have to say, despite the controversy, I think this is an easy question. Uh, Look at verse 54. Verse 54 says this. Jesus says, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. And now look back at verse 40. Jesus says, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. The result in both verses is exactly the same, to have eternal life and to be raised up on the last day. But the cause seems different. Verse 54 describes the cause as eating and drinking. Verse 40 describes the cause as looking on the Son and believing in him. Now, two rules of thumb in Bible study are relevant here. The first is you interpret the less clear passages in light of the clear. If there is a verse you don't understand and there is a similar verse that is clear, you interpret the confusing bit in light of the clear bit. The interpretation of verse 40 is obvious. Believe on Jesus and receive eternal life. The interpretation of verse 54 is less obvious. What does it mean to feed on Jesus' flesh and drink his blood? Taken literally... Jesus is advocating cannibalism. The parallelism and the principle interpret the less clear in light of the clear lead us to understand eating and drinking as a metaphor for faith. To eat and drink is to take in nourishing and satisfying food. And to partake of a sacrifice is to receive the benefit of that sacrifice. So to to eat and drink Jesus is to take him in, the spiritual nourishment and satisfaction that comes from him and the benefits of his sacrifice. How does that happen? It happens by faith. As we come to Jesus, look on the Son and believe. Now, there's another principle in a Bible study uh, that you always interpret any passage in light of its context. Right? That, that means the immediate context. It means the whole passage. It means the, the, the whole chapter, the specific book of the Bible, the type of literature, the testament, and place in redemptive history, and finally, the whole of sacred scripture. But what happens here when we back up just a bit and look at the rest of John? First, we find a number of these I am statements. In this chapter, Jesus says twice, I am the bread of life, and once, I am the living bread. But Jesus also says, I am the light of the world, and I am the door of the sheep, and I am the good shepherd, and I am the true vine. Now, Jesus is not literally light molecules, nor a door that swings on hinges, nor a watcher of farm animals, nor a plant that grows in the dirt. He is metaphorically all of these things. He is literally none of these things. He is using a figure of speech, as he is here in John 6. Second, when we look at the rest of John, how does Jesus talk about eternal life? How do we receive eternal life in the rest of John's gospel? Well, I'm glad you asked. Uh, John 3.15, whoever believes in Jesus may have eternal life. John 3.16, whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. John 3.36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. John 5, 24, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. 
John 5, 39 to 40, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life and it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. There's a little variety. Believe, 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 come. Skipping John 6 for the moment, John 12, Jesus said, whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. John 17, 3, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And John 20, 31, the theme verse for the entire gospel of John, these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. What is the consistent testimony of John's gospel? How do we receive eternal life? Believe in Jesus and you have eternal life. And now I skipped over John 4. Uh, You may remember John 4, where Jesus says, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Of course, in the context, Jesus is clearly using water as a metaphor for himself, and in light of John 7, his spirit. In John 6, Jesus talks this way as well. He begins speaking literally. How does one work for the food that endures to eternal life? John 6, 29. This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. John 6, 40. Everyone who looks on the Son and believes has eternal life. John 6, 47. Whoever believes has eternal life. Uh, one of the clinchers is John, uh, in John 6 is when Jesus uses a metaphor for eternal life, but speaks literally about coming and believing. Uh, John 6, 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Eating and drinking is is metaphorical language for coming and believing, as seen in the fact that our problem of hunger and thirst is solved by coming and believing. Now, I should say it's perfectly understandable that some would mistake this chapter as referring to the Lord's Supper. John 6 is about Jesus as the sacrifice we need to receive into ourselves, And the Lord's Supper is also about Jesus as the sacrifice that we need to receive into ourselves. Both the verbal imagery of John 6 and the visible imagery of the Lord's Supper point to the same reality, to Jesus as the bread of life. The mistake that people make is to think that one image points to the other image rather than seeing both images as pointing to Jesus. All that said, we shouldn't, of course, in the end, miss the metaphor. Jesus wants us to take him and the benefits of his work into ourselves to receive him and the life that he offers. And we do that by coming to Jesus, looking on him, and believing. Of course, we don't even look, literally. We see Jesus in the scriptures. We come by faith. We believe that Jesus came, took on flesh, that he could offer himself up as a sacrifice for our sin so that whoever believes in him might not perish but would have eternal life. By believing in Jesus, we are reconciled to our Father, accepted in Jesus, by Jesus, and through Jesus. We're united to Jesus, and his life becomes intertwined with ours. And in him, we find nourishment and satisfaction for our souls. Come to Jesus, and he will be life-giving to your soul. And come not just once, but every day, right? We keep filling ourselves with the empty calories of this age rather than consuming the nourishing, life-giving meal that is Jesus. This is why John wrote... And this is why Jesus came, that you might have life in him as the sustenance and satisfaction of your soul. Jesus is the bread of life. Come and feed on Jesus by faith in him. Let's pray.
Our Father, we thank you that you sent Jesus as the living bread to come down from heaven to offer himself as a sacrifice for sin that we might have life in him. Grant us faith that we would look on him and believe this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.